Smart Live. Welcome. Thanks for joining me for the 2021 State of Independent SaaS live stream and presentation of our report. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling. And on behalf of me and my team at MicroConf, I just want to welcome you and uh, thank you for hanging out with us for the next 30, 35 minutes as we, as we dive into these findings. This is our second annual State of Independent SaaS report. And the cool part this year is not only do we get a, a, a balance sheet, like a, a state in time, a frozen in time look at this year, but we now have two years of data and I'll be making some connections as we go through about the trends that we're seeing. Things like, are more people moving to freemium? Are more founders moving to asking credit card upfront? That kind of stuff. So. Thanks so much for showing up here. You will notice if you saw last year's live stream, we had a crew and a whole space rented out. Producer Xander flew out. And this year it is a COVID friendly presentation of this live stream. I'm sitting here basically alone in this house with looks lonely behind me, but it's me and my cup of tea. And producer Xander is at a safe, socially distanced, I think he's about a thousand miles away from here, um, producing this. So I really look forward to, to running through this with you. And once again, thanks for joining us. If you're unfamiliar with MicroConf or all of the things that we offer, I want to just take a minute to walk through how we evolved and maybe why the state of independent SaaS comes out of MicroConf each year, why we decided to put this report together. So MicroConf itself started as an in-person event about a decade ago. And since then, we've run more than 20 events. We actually had seven in-person events scheduled for last year that we had to unfortunately postpone due to COVID. But in addition to the in-person events, about two years ago, we started making a big push to the virtual world. This was even before, before COVID had happened. And so we have a great video vault on YouTube that is completely free. It's about 200 different microconf talks. And those are all free at youtube.com slash microconf. I'd encourage you to check that out if you haven't. We have some great playlists on there, like the top five rated talks of all time and the top 10 talks needed for bootstrapping and starting your first SaaS app. In addition, we have things, of course, like the state of independent SaaS. We have a, a, a large reach into that community. Folks who are bootstrapping or mostly bootstrapping their SaaS apps and want to build ambitious, ambitious startups. And sometimes it's for lifestyle and sometimes it's because they want to achieve something great, but it's not going down that venture track. In addition, another offering we have is MicroConf Connect, which is our always on year round Slack community. We have more than 1,700 founders. And actually, that's where the action's happening today. If you're watching this live stream, if you head to microconfconnect.com, you can sign up. And if you're already in microconf.com, it's totally free, by the way, you just head to the State of Independent SaaS channel, and that's where you can ask questions and be involved in the conversation around what we're up to. It's a bunch of other stuff microconf does. If you're not on our list, I would head to microconf.com and, uh, and check us out. Lastly, from MicroConf, uh, about two years ago, we launched the first startup accelerator designed for SaaS bootstrappers, and that's at tinyseed.com. We offer a bit of funding and a heck of a lot of mentorship and guidance through a year-long accelerator program. It was the first of its kind, and it was the first remote accelerator that I had heard of. Of course, we looked like geniuses when COVID hit, but it was just the way we wanted to do it because we know how spread out the indie SaaS and uh, bootstrap SaaS founders are. tinyseed.com if you're curious to hear about that. And lastly, before we dig into the report, I want to thank our headline partners, both for 2020 and 2021. This is Hey 
and Stripe. We've been a longtime fan of Basecamp, who puts out Hay and Stripe, and they've been longtime supporters of MicroConf. The founders of, of these companies have attended MicroConfs. They've done onstage Q&As, and they've just really been supporting this bootstrapped and, and indie, independently funded SaaS movement. So one thing I would ask is if you haven't, if you, I would ask you to go to Twitter and reach out to, to them. It's Hey and at Stripe, Hey and at Stripe, and just thank them for supporting MicroConf and supporting independent SaaS or supporting bootstrap SaaS founders, because they put their money where their mouth is to support this community. And, and we like to recognize that. And we definitely thank them for their support. It allows us to do things like the state of independent SaaS survey that took hundreds of person hours and, and several thousand dollars to put together over the past several months. And with that, let's dive in. Sorry, I'm looking down at my clicker if you're wondering why, uh, why I'm doing that. One thing I wanted to note as we get into it is if you're on Twitter, hashtag micro, if you have questions uh, or, or comments or thoughts on the report, that's great to put them on Twitter or obviously in the MicroConf Connect chat. So the 2021 State of Independent SaaS report wound up being about 72 pages this year for the full report. And I think there's a slightly shorter version for folks who didn't complete the report. We shrunk it down from about 85 to 90 last year because we felt like some of the, and we got some feedback that some of the pages just weren't, the reports, uh, graphs weren't that helpful. But today we're going to dig through seven, there's seven topics and about two to three pages from each section. And we'll run for, I don't know, I'll talk for about another 15 to 20 minutes. And then we're going to do Q&A. And so if you have any questions about the report or about data or about something I say, my findings, please do feel free to weigh in Slack. So we're going to go through the founders, a couple slides about the companies that are in the state of independent SaaS report, pricing, SaaS metrics, marketing growth, and of course, the bonus marketing insights. And that's the section that's only available to folks who completed, who actually completed the survey. So first, we're going to dig into the founders. And again, I think there's six or eight you know, pages or graphs in the report itself. And I think we look at two to three here, just in the interest of time, didn't want to do a full one hour live stream, wanted to make good use of your time. So I'm trying to pull out the most perhaps high level or, or prescient facts about it. First uh, question, how many founders started your company? And of the respondents, about 56% had our single founders and 36% double uh, two, two founders, which puts us over 92% for one and two founder teams, which very much in line with our experience in the microconf community. And in, I think the bootstrap SaaS community in general, obviously occasionally we'll see three and four founder teams, but this definitely uh, lines up and it's about equal to what it was last year, which I think I would expect. I wouldn't expect this to be a trend that changes. And I'd like to call out that in Silicon Valley where they do, or, or anywhere they write venture checks, usually there's a bias towards two or more founder teams because the journey is long and hard. We actually, I've had a bias towards smaller teams, one and two founder teams, because we're scrappy, we're cash efficient bootstrappers. And I don't know, I just seen a lot of examples of people get to five or 10 million in ARR as a, a single founder or a two person team and not have the need for a big founding team. Our next slide is, our next question is before founding your current company, did you start a prior company? 60% of folks have started a prior one. So they're on their second or third, 40%, it's their first effort. And on the right there, you can see that about what is that? About 50% never made it to 10K with their previous effort. And then some folks are, obviously, if you get to a million or more a month, you probably had an exit or you have a CEO looking after your business and uh, you're on to your next adventure as a serial founder. 
demographics. We look at age, racial categories, gender categories. This year, some similarities, although some transitions, I think, in a good way. So I like to think of maybe applying to Y Combinator or a lot of, say, Silicon Valley startup founders are the 20-somethings. 20, 20 and maybe if you get into your 30s, you're starting to be in the older uh, decade. With MicroConf, it has tended to be, and with not just MicroConf, but the whole you know independent SaaS movement, I think, tends to be a little older, skew a little older, where the peak is in that 30 decade and it's 30 to 40 really makes up the vast majority. What is that? Almost 80% of the folks. So it is like a bell curve. And then as you go under the, the 20s and 50s, which I'll be joining in a few years, actually, we not the 20s, the 50s. We, we have the bell, bell curve uh, going there, which is fun. Racial categories, you'll notice that with racial and gender, we add up to more than 100%. And that's because the, we ask the question as, do you have, or which categories are represented in your startup? So if you have multiple founders, you might have uh, mul multiple racial categories, or in an individual, you might have multiple multiple categories. So sim very similar to last year racially, in terms of categories, white, I believe is about 88% last year, and it's 87% this year. In terms of the racial categories, last year, I believe it was 88% white and then a real broad mix of the rest. This year, it's 87 with a little bit more of a broader swath through you know, the rest, as you can see there. I won't go through them all. In gender categories, there's actually been a bit of progress. It's still founders of SaaS companies, 96% have at least one male founder. And last year, it was either 10 or 11% had a female founder. And it looks like we're up to 12% now. And this is actually in line with the trends that we've seen at in-person microconf events. Back in 2011, it was about 3% women attendees. And the last time we were able to run them, which was 2019, we were between 10 and 15% women attendees and always looking to push that forward, of course. But it, it is something that's slowly changing, perhaps I think too slow for a lot of our tastes. But over time, I think we're going to see the expansion of these demographics becoming more diverse, hopefully. All right, let's dig into some company metrics. In addition to you, how many full-time or contract employees currently work at your company? So we... There's a lot of single founders, as we would expect, with no employees. So that's about 38%. And then between no employees and up to four employees, we're at almost, what, about 75%. And that reflects on a lot of the cash efficiency of SaaS companies, as well as or the more early stage nature of a lot of these. But look, there's almost 20% with five to 19 employees. There are definitely some more advanced companies, as you'll see with MRR later, that are applying. Have you raised funding for this company? So we have 14% who've raised some type of funding. The, the vast majority was between 100,000 and 500,000. This was up from, it was either 10 or 11% last year. So it's up, that's a not inconsequential uptick in that. And I subscribe that or ascribe that to, I think there, I predicted this a couple of years ago in a Microsoft talk that it used to be bootstrapped in venture. And you are either in full control or you, the meme, like you had to sell your soul to the venture capitalist. But there's these things that are in between now. There's these boot, the bootstrap funding for bootstrappers like TinySeed, Indie.VC. These are funding that, that doesn't come with the typical strings attached and allow you to, to run an LLC and run a profitable company and not need to exit in the next three, five years or have an IPO. And I think we're going to see this trend continue where funding is not only available without the strings, but it also is maybe destigmatized to where it's not a kind of a religious debate or a binary thing of I've raised funding or I didn't. And so I'm in this club, but it's like, I'm bootstrapped or I'm mostly bootstrapped. Raising $100,000, you're mostly bootstrapped still. It's not like you suddenly have millions in your bank. So there's some more, a lot more information about funding in the report. This one I think is fun. I liked it. 
which of the categories below best describes how you develop the idea for this product or company? And the cool part is last year, I think we only had two or three selections and then a bunch in other, but we expanded it this year such that we could have much more detail. So 45% was a problem that I was experiencing so that I'm eating my own dog food. I am scratching my own itch as the, as the kind of meme says. What's interesting is I would have expected that number to be higher. The, there's a bunch of other problems that exist that don't necessarily have to be your problem. And if you're an aspiring founder who doesn't have an idea, think about these other areas to look. It may not just be a problem you have. Maybe it's the 22% who saw a problem their customers or their clients were facing. Maybe it's 12% or 13 almost who experienced a problem at their day job and wanted to fix it. 11% a problem a friend or relative was experiencing and only 8% was research. So keep that in mind, like seeing problems in everyday life all around you are, this is the way you keep that idea notebook, you keep that list and, and you start looking at how you could potentially solve them and have people pay you money for them. I think it might be time for a break, just a little quick joke. If you uh, haven't been part of a microconf in the past, microconf is about some bad jokes, people. It really is. So here's one. Why don't cats make good chairs? because they keep dropping the tools. That one's rough. I'm sorry about that. We need a laugh track next time because that was awful. So we're gonna dive into pricing. And we talked about last year, we had more of a narrow view of, of pricing. We asked about monthly, annual, and monthly and annual together. This year we realized when we looked through the others from last year, there were people doing metered, pay as you go, revenue shares, pretty fascinating. People could check more than one, right? Because if you have monthly and annual, you would check both. So 47% of people said they charge monthly, which I would expect to be more, to be honest, since you can check multiple because monthly and annual, I don't know, I would think that number would be 70 or 80%, but 47%, 36% annual, and then 7% metered and the rest. These next four, I find, especially the next three, I find really interesting. These are all about free trial, credit card before free trial and freemium. And these all shifted from last year to this year in a way that I've been talking about on the podcast and I had predicted in a, my MarketConf Europe talk in 2019. Do you offer a free trial for your product? So 71% said yes. Last year, that number was 64%. So we need to see this trend over many years and maybe it's a blip this year, but I'm curious to see three, four, five years, does that free trial just continue? Is it 73, 74 next year? Is it 78 the year after? It's gonna be really interesting to see. So again, it was 64 free trial last year and we're at 71 this year. And then this one is when a customer registers for free trial, does the company, do you require a credit card upfront in order to get the trial? And the yes this year was 21%. And last year, the yes was, oh, I think it was 25. It was in the 25 to 27 range. So moving the free line, move, not even the free line, moving the ease of getting into your, oh, your application line, right? Fewer credit cards is going to result in more leads. You then own the lead and you need to figure out how to convert them. So I'm not saying everyone should do this, especially early on in your, I think in your app's lifetime, it can be easy to try to just have freemium and let everyone in and not take feedback from the right people. But once you've nailed it and you start to scale it, I do think that moving the free line is really an interesting idea for those who have a hold on their numbers. Similarly, with a forever free plan, 27% said yes this year. Last year, it was 21%. So 6% more, but I mean, 6% compared to 21 is almost a third. It's, yeah, almost a third more people 
more companies are offering forever free plans. Forever free plans can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. It's easy to, like a samurai sword, easy to cut your arm off it. But if you're a master with it, you can do some amazing things. And forever free, free plans can work. It's not something I would necessarily recommend for everyone. Lastly, we didn't ask this one last year. So I'm curious to see the trend. I was surprised that almost 26% of the SaaS companies that you know, responded to the survey said that they charge some kind of setup fee. And so we'll keep tracking that over the years, but obviously ideas, if you're not charging one and you feel like it might be something you wanna think about, there we go. Section four, SaaS metrics, monthly recurring revenue. And you'll see in the graph, the yellow is this year's and the blue is last year's. And we have definitely edged a little more towards uh, the later stage. There are fewer early stage folks but the graph is very similar to last year where it's not a bell curve, but it's just a, a sliding curve of, it's like a funnel. More people make it to higher revenue marks, pretty much almost without exception. And that's the way you think about it. If there's, if I'm making up numbers, a million people with an idea or who want to have an idea and there's 200,000 come up with the idea and then 40,000 actually build and launch something. And then 10,000 actually get to less than 1,000. This is the pattern that we see, I think, in communities like the microcoms, the indie hackers, and, and so on. Over the past three months, what was your average revenue churn? What's really interesting, I would actually think this would be higher, but I guess since we're dealing with later stage companies, they figured a lot of this out. Net negative churn, almost 13% of companies. That's awesome. That's like the golden ticket of SaaS. Less than 1% churn, almost a fifth of companies. And less than from net negative all the way to uh, less than 3% is, it's what about 60, 50, 60% of companies. So it's a lot of companies are down in that really nice, tight, low churn range. I also find it interesting that what about 18% of companies don't know their churn. My hope is that's because they are so early stage that the churn is bouncing all over the place. Because if you are at 5K, 10K or up, and you don't know your churn, that's a problem. So that's something you're going to want to know about. So look at some growth. This is perhaps the most interesting section of the report uh, both years. This is where we look at the growth of each individual company, how, how many thousands of MRR per month it grew in every month of its lifetime, since first paying customer until the time of the survey. And then we correlate that with different factors, number of founders. So does more founders correlate to you know faster growth? What are some other things we look at? Churn and LTV and NPS, all these things. I wanna remind you that correlation does not equal causation. So we can't say having three founders implies that you'll have faster growth. It, it just says that those two things have moved in lockstep for these companies. So first one is founder count versus growth. And what's interesting here is last year, this just went up and to the right. And so, Two was better than one, better. Two correlated with faster growth, three faster growth than two, and four was faster growth than three. I found that puzzling because I, at a certain point, I feel like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and do, you know, does the app really benefit or does your company really benefit from having that many founders? This one is more in line with, I think maybe a personal kind of sense that I have, but where once you have four or more, there's perhaps decreasing, I guess, decreasing returns on it. But who knows, we'll see when we get to year three, the 2022 state of independence has to see if this pattern holds or not. The other thing to think about is if you're trying to get to default alive or just trying to get to where you can quit your day job, realistically, if you have one founder versus two, you probably need, you probably want to grow twice as fast in order to get to the same quit your day job date. And if you have three versus one, it should be three times as fast. And that's not quite true with this graph, but anyways, it's interesting to look at nonetheless. Founder hours versus growth. And while 
it basically says the more hours that founders work, the co it's correlated with faster growth. While I wish that wasn't the case, because I wish that I could work 10 or 20 hours a week and still have faster growth, I think you can look at this two ways. One, yes, probably investing more time, I think within reason, once you get to above 40, 50 hours, it's decreasing returns. But within reason, more time is going to probably get you more progress, especially in the early days where you're just grinding it out. The other thing to think about is perhaps the apps that are growing faster, that are growing faster are the ones Yeah, there is, sorry, I got distracted there, but the, it's growing faster, but it, an app that's growing faster might make, motivate the founder to focus more on their company. So if, if the app starts doubling, now I'm going to quit my day job. Now I can work 40 hours, that type of thing. All right. Ideal customer. This definitely falls in line, I think with traditional, I think that the wisdom, traditional wisdom you would hear from the microconf stage and things that, you know, I've been talking about for years on the podcast, bigger customers tend to pay you more money and therefore your company does grow faster. Now there's a headache factor of dealing with them. Obviously dealing with a company that's 250 employees versus one that's five, there's a lot more decision makers probably need SOC2 compliance or a Google audit in order to, to do that. But in general, consumers churn more, it's, it's harder to, they have lower lifetime values, it's harder to market. There is that anomaly you'll see with the aspiring entrepreneurs and there's a lot of influencers in that space. And if you get traction with them, let's say lead pages did, and you do a lot of marketing, you can get really fast growth early on, even if there's high churn. But so that, that's what I'm seeing in this graph. Forever free versus growth. And actually there's free trial versus no, versus no free trial. And then forever free versus no free trial. And so free trial only, let's see if you don't have a free trial, which I'm guessing is more of a demo flow, which probably means you have a higher price. Then there is, look, it's up about 1350 versus let's say around a thousand or 1100. So maybe a 20% faster growth correlated with not having a free trial. And again, that's not to say I should go out and remove my free trial today, but perhaps it's the business models that, that uh, attack that have, have demos. And then forever free plan, yes or no, pretty close. looks like it's about 10% difference. To me, it's not worth, that's, that's so close that it almost doesn't matter credit card up front before a free trial. And you'll see that asking for credit card is just over 1200 and not is around a thousand. So about 20% faster. If you have a free trial asking for a credit card. And I feel like maybe some more mature businesses move towards that. That could imply that this one right in line with exactly what, what I would think, right? Lifetime value is it's inspired a lot by your price point, the higher your price point, typically higher lifetime value. And also churn, the lower your churn, the higher your lifetime value. So if you have a low churn, high monthly fee or annual fee, I would expect your company to be growing faster. And that is essentially what this graph says. Those two correlate. Okay. We're in the home stretch, the marketing extras. And I need to tell you a joke before we do it. Do you know why HTML developers don't like restaurants? because they hate the table layout. Thank you. Yeah, we got some sound effects. HTML developers, did I just say that? Front-end developers is what I meant, sorry. Hello, 2009 called, it wants its verbiage back. All right, advertising versus growth. This is a good one. So again, we're correlating growth with different ad channels. And one thing you'll know, if you look all the way to the right of this graph, there's an other with quite a few, with a lot of growth. And so we're gonna dig into the other results and 
probably break them out next year so that we can you know dissect that a little further actually surprised and pleasantly surprised as someone who runs events through microconf that event sponsorships folks who use event sponsorships as as advertising and as lead gen are actually growing quite quickly and then you'll see actually i can't see in the graph it's interesting it's covered by a little piece of something on my screen oh it's twitter and linkedin ads so linkedin i'm not actually surprised by because if you're going b2b or b2b enterprise i think you'd be growing twitter I'm, i am surprised by so that's I don't know. Have you looked into Twitter ads? An interesting thing. And then of course, Google and, and Facebook down a little lower, but I think, I wonder if are fewer people using them. And so they're less expensive. Rolling into the home stretch. I think we just have a couple left. Which marketing activities have had the most impact on your revenue this year? Word of mouth, obviously number one, the strong lavender color over there, 22% SEO. And then you'll see like the next three are SEO, or next two, I guess, are SEO and content marketing, which kind of go hand in hand. And then email, or no, I guess it's partnerships and email marketing after that. So those are the big five, right? Those, that's what a lot of people talk about. And I think if you're not leveraging three, three of those five, you're probably missing out. Lastly, before we get to questions, if you have your questions, please post them in and producer Xander will be sending them my way as soon as we wrap. In-person and digital event attendance versus growth. So we asked it tongue in cheek the very first year of, well, I wonder if it'll show that the more events you attend, the faster your growth. And it does, although the, the decreasing returns is after 13, after 13 events. So don't go to 13 or more events. Again, this is correlation, not causation, but thank you so much for joining. I would love it if you would tweet with hashtag microconf and uh, link to state of indie SAS com to spread the word about this report. The report is free. People can uh, download it. They just have to enter their email. And again, we've put hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars into developing this. And the more founders that can get this in their hands, uh, we would love it. We've also posted to Hacker News and Indie Hackers, if you're on there and could uh, look for our post about the state of independent SaaS, that would be great. And I'd love to have you Love to have you participate next year. If you didn't this year, get on our microconf mailing list. We don't email that frequently and we'll let you know when the next survey opens. And with that, we're gonna roll into questions. Flip in here to my handy dandy question doc. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is a good question from Samori. He's a frequent microconf attendee. He says, are you a founder if you bought the SaaS business from a previous team and you plan on moving in a different direction? Yes, for the state of independent SaaS, we do consider, and for microconf, you're running a business, you're the owner of the business. I think we get tired of, it's like we could say the CEO, but some founders aren't the CEO. We could say the business owner, but that's cumbersome. We do use the term founder. I know technically that means I founded, I started the business, but in the state of, in this survey, we actually do have a spot of how'd you come up with the business idea? And you'll see there was, I purchased the, the company. That was one option. So I would say yes. Does the data about accepting funding include non-dilutive funding? We didn't specify, non-dilutive funding are things like grants, I suppose a loan, like a revenue-based financing. We didn't ask specifically about that, but producer Xander, if we could make a note of that for next year, because that would be interesting to, to sift that out. I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I remember um, the slide that says the funding types, which obviously wasn't in this talk for time purposes, but in the actual deck itself or in the PDF, I do believe we broke it down and RBF is one of them. I don't know if we have grants in there though. So that's, that's uh, good. All right. Wh why do you think the trend is moving towards freemium? 
Okay. Yeah. So this is a good question. I think the the trend has been moving that way for a while. I think in the 2005 to 2010 timeframe, I remember a lot of people doing freemium. It was the big kind of, I raised venture funding and I want to get as many users, as many free users as I can so that I can go public type thing. And then that kind of died off and it, it switched. And as we started bootstrapping and building real businesses, charging real money to real customers, it, it became, we wanted to prove it up front that a customer is willing to pay us before we spent the time to pay for costly servers and costly development time and all that. Things have gotten cheaper. They've also gotten more with AWS and, and Heroku and all that. Things have also gotten more competitive. And I think that's where the freemium and removing the credit card comes in is if you're in a space with 10 competitors and one competitor goes freemium or one competitor removes that credit card requirement, they are now owning more of the leads and over time they will eat into they'll eat into the market. So that's the trend. I would expect it, you know, to continue for better or worse. And I think again in the early days, you're having conversations, you're getting early customers in who are willing to pay, but at a certain point, it's something to consider. I'm still really I won't say on the fence. Yeah, I guess on the fence about when and exactly uh, how you should do it. I've actually had Ruben Gomez on Startups for the Rest of Us. If you haven't checked that out, it's a podcast I record every week. And we talk specifically about some instances when you should consider freemium and when you should not. So if you search his name, we talk through three or four things that if you if these are in place, you really shouldn't do freemium because every space doesn't support it very well. And with that, all right, now we have another question. Maybe the last, yeah, last question, unless another one comes in soon. Interesting that you focus on MRR dollar growth per month. Wouldn't percentage be more relevant after a certain MRR level? Perhaps, but the problem with percentages is if we say I'm making $1,000 in MRR and I grew and I grow by 100% this month, then I'm at $2,000 MRR. But if I'm at 100K and I grow by 100%, I have to grow another 100K, I have to go to 200K. So percentages, they change over time. It's a sliding scale. And so that's, that's why we do absolute dollar amount. Um, because frankly, if you have an engine that is driving X amount of visitors per month that can X amount convert to trial and X of those convert to paid, that engine will give you not linear percentage growth, but it will give you linear dollar growth, 100 to 10 to five through the funnel, We'll give you five new paying customers every month. And if you're charging $50 a month, that's $250 every month. That's great. So that's a linear growth curve. But if you look at the percentages, it will decrease over time as your MRR goes up, which makes percentages, I'll say, a non-ideal metric or um, way to look at this kind of growth. And with that, we're going to wrap up. Thanks again for, for joining and for sticking around for the questions. If you have any additional questions, you can feel free to ask them in the Slack. We'll be paying attention there. Obviously, you can always tweet at us. I'm at Rob Walling and at MicroConf. It's great to have you joining us today. And we'll be running this survey again in can, probably August or September and have another report, the third annual State of Indie SaaS for 2022 coming out again to you next year. Thanks to the rest of the MicroConf team and producer Xander for helping me fight through <laughs> all my technical issues today. Hope you had a great time and we'll see you next time.